that together. Daniel chapter 6. Uh, just going to look at one verse uh, today. Daniel chapter 6, just looking at one verse, verse number 10. Um, I'll kind of explain the story here in a little bit. Uh, some of you may be familiar with this story, but Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, I'll talk about that here in a little bit, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. You may be seated this morning. It was July of 1961. I won't ask you to raise, I won't ask anyone to put up their hand who was alive in 1961. Doesn't matter. Uh, but it was July of 1961, uh, and the 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together for their first day of training camp. Anybody in here a Green Bay Packer? I'm not, but just asking. Any Green Bay Packer fans in this room? All right. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, the previous season had ended with a heartbreaking defeat when the Packers squandered a lead late in the fourth quarter and they lost uh, the NFL championship game to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Green Bay players had been thinking about this brutal loss for their entire offseason and now finally training camp had arrived and it was time to get to work. The players were eager to advance their game to the next level and start working on the details that would help them win the championship for the upcoming year. Their coach, some of you will know this name, Vince Lombardi, he had a different idea in mind when they arrived at training camp. Uh, in his book, When Pride Still Mattered, A Life of Vince Lombardi, author David um, Maranos explains what happened when Lombardi walked into the training camp in the summer of 1961. And this is how he describes it. He took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch. Assuming that the players were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before, he began with the most elemental statement of all. And this is what he said when he arrived at training camp in the summer of 1961. Gentlemen, he said, holding a pigskin in his right hand, this is a football. Now, I think most of us would probably know, even if we don't even care about football, I think most of us in this room would know what a football looks like or what a football is. But for Vince Lombardi, it was important, it was valuable that they started every single training camp with the fundamentals, going back to the basics, going back to uh, what was important, what would help them develop not only as individuals and as players, but what would help them develop as a team. This story captures really, in my opinion, a very important spiritual truth. And that is that a strong godly foundation and attention given to the fundamentals, the basics of the faith are vital in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if I've been a Christian for 50, 60, 70 years, or if I'm a brand new Christian, it's important that we are still ingrained and engrossed in what we would deem as some of the basics of our faith. And that's what this series will be all about over the next uh, several weeks, over the next five or six weeks. We're going to begin to look at some of the, what may appear to be very foundational or uh, very elementary principles of the faith, but, but I believe that if we do not grasp or have a good understanding of some of these basics of the faith, um, 
then we're not going to have a strong foundation. And I think all of us in this room know that a foundation must be strong. If our foundation is weak, everything that is built upon that foundation will no longer stand. And so having a strong foundation, especially when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, is very vital. In this series, The Basics, we're going to spend time unpacking some of those fundamentals of the faith. Today, we're going to look at prayer. Next week, we're going to talk about the Word of God, Bible engagement. We're going to look at community. We're going to look at worship, generosity, and service, some things that are very vital and very important to our relationship with Jesus Christ. These practices, I want you to hear this this morning, these practices in and of themselves don't change us. Uh, Just reading the Word of God or just praying or just serving don't change us. But what they do is they put us in a position to encounter God's presence, to encounter God himself, and to experience transformation. As I pray, as I read scripture, and God begins to reveal his heart to me, as he begins to work in me, that's when the change begins to happen. Uh, There's a lot of people that that serve, but unless they're serving with the objective or, or the goal to experience the presence of God as they serve, God will begin to change and begin to shape and transform their heart. That's where it changed when we position ourselves to encounter God's presence. And let me tell you, some of these uh, practices, the basics that we're going to look at are some great ways for you and for me and for believers to position themselves to hear from God and to experience uh, and, to, and to receive his revelation. As we pray, God begins to reveal and speak to us. As we read his word, this is, this is his revelation that he has given to us of himself. And so as we read it, as we digest it, as we reflect on it and meditate on his word, God will begin to, to stir in us a, a deeper longing for him and begin to change our hearts. Richard Foster said this regarding spiritual disciplines. He said, we must always remember that the path does not produce the change. It only places us where the change can occur. Another writer, Keith Drury, said this, when we practice the spiritual disciplines, we put ourselves, I love this, in the current of God's river of grace. And the spiritual disciplines are these ordinary channels where God provides grace to change us. And so as we practice these disciplines, as we pray, as we read scripture and meditate on it, as we serve, and as we come together and worship in, in, a, in a communal sense, we are putting ourselves in God's river of grace and allowing God's grace to then work in us and change us. With each discipline, and this is really the point and the focus of this series, with each discipline or each practice that we will talk about over the next few weeks, I want you to be praying about it. I want you to be considering carefully and personally evaluating how well are we engaging these practices. How, what does my prayer life look like? How, how, it, how disciplined am I in reading scripture, meditating on it, memorizing it, reflecting on it? A- a- am I um, serving God? Am I generous in, in terms of what God has called me to? Again, the purpose of these practices is not for you and for me uh, to gain more personal ribbon, ribbons. Uh, the objective is not for, for us to walk out of here and say, well, I, I, get a, I, I get a blue ribbon because you know I pray six times a day and Daniel only prayed three times. That's not the purpose at all. It has nothing to do with, with receiving personal ribbons or, or getting a gold star or getting a pat on the back, but it has to do with knowing God 
better and experiencing his presence. Listen to what Paul said. You know, Paul, we, we know Paul was uh, in, in Philippians chapter three. If you, if you look in, in Acts and you read Acts, you'll, you'll kind of get the history of Paul, his life. And, and, and in Philippians chapter three, Paul here is talking about just before these verses, uh, he was explaining to those at Philippi how when it came to being a Jew, he was the best Jew. When it came to um, abiding by the law, he followed the law better than any other person that he knew. When it came to all of these various practices, uh, he surpassed almost every other person. I mean, he was the best Jew and the the best law uh, follower there could be. But listen to what Paul says when it comes to all of those things. Those were good things. They weren't bad things. But listen to what Paul said in in chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 7. I once thought that these things, and those things I was just talking about, these things were valuable. But now, Paul says, I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count, no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous Um, Is that the end? Maybe it is. That's the end. Okay. Um, Rather I become righteous. Oh no, through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And then listen to this, verse 10. Listen to Paul's objective and his goal. I want to know Christ. I want to know him. And and Paul's not talking about a head knowledge. He's talking about a a heart relationship. I want to have intimacy with God. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And listen, he even says this, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And so the purpose of these practices, prayer and, and, and giving ourselves to scripture and community and service and generosity, is not so we can pat ourselves on the back, but it's so we can say with Paul, I want to know Christ, and I want to, to experience him I count all of, that other, all of those other things garbage, worthless, compared to the infinite value, Paul says, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. How many in here this morning want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and share in the fellowship of his sufferings? We will begin this morning by examining three uh, traits and qualities of what a godly prayer life looks like. We're going to spend our time talking about um, prayer as that first kind of basic principle or first basic practice that we need to give ourselves to. Richard Foster says this, of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. The beautiful thing about prayer is that it allows us, it's a means for you and I to converse, to talk with, and to listen to God. Now, we, we have his word, and he's given us a revelation of himself, but when we pray, we, we can commune and fellowship with God in conversation. Now, I think all of us in this room know when it comes to a conversation, um, usually that involves two parties, and that also involves one party listening while the other party is talking. Sometimes uh, in conversations, it, it ends up being unilateral or one direction instead of, of, of being both directions, and, and I will say uh, just on the outset, I'm oftentimes when it comes to prayer, I find myself guilty 
uh, of doing most of the talking and, and forgetting the fact that God wants to speak to me. He has something to say, and, and sometimes he just wants me to be still and be quiet in his presence and listen. And so the beautiful thing about prayer is it allows us to commune. It allows us to converse and talk with our Heavenly Father in heaven. Several texts that we could have considered this morning. When it comes to prayer, there's all sorts of texts we could unpack and look at. We could talk about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 or, uh, or, or other texts that we could give ourselves. First Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without, without ceasing. We could have talked about that this morning. But, but what I want to direct our focus on just for a few minutes today is I want to focus on the prayer life of Daniel begin to extract two or three very important truths or principles that we can learn from Daniel's, Daniel's prayer life. Now, let me just begin by explaining, maybe you do or don't know who Daniel was. Daniel, first of all, Daniel was one of the major prophets. We just read it in scripture. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel were, were considered the major prophets of scripture, and Daniel was one of them as well. Daniel was also an individual. Daniel was a Hebrew man who was actually brought to Babylon um, as a captive. Um, I've shared with you before, if you remember, uh, Judah or the southern kingdom was destroyed by Babylon. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And what Babylon did is, is they left some of their, uh, their uh, captives in, in the city of Jerusalem or wherever they were at, but they also took some of their captives as well. And just before, and this is in 586 BC, just before um, Jerusalem was destroyed, uh, Daniel and a few others, you may be familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, the three guys that get thrown into the fiery furnace and, and, and are actually rescued and there's not a burn on them at all. And there was a fourth man in the fire. Um, and, and so those individuals, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're guys that get brought to Babylon pretty just, just before the destruction of the temple in 586 BC. And, and Daniel was invited into the palace of the king uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the king at the time in order to serve in the royal court and to be taught the ways of Babylon. He was the one who interpreted uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. You can read it in Daniel. He was also the one that was able to um, interpret or, or tell uh, the people that were gathering the, the writing on the wall. If you remember Belshazzar, if there was the, the handwriting on the wall and they were trying to figure out what it meant, Daniel was able to provide uh, that explanation for them. But I think Daniel was probably, at least in, in our context, or maybe um, down with the kids, probably the story that we know or are most familiar with when it comes to Daniel is Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, I think that's, uh, I know for me growing up, one of my favorite stories as a kid in, in kids' church. And, and just, I mean, to think about a guy getting thrown into a den of lions and coming out untouched is, is miraculous and incredible. Um, and, and testifies to God's faithfulness. But Daniel also has a reputation as a man of prayer. We see that in Daniel chapter 6. Um, let me just kind of give you, paint the picture of this narrative for you and then share these three things with you. The king at the time was Darius. He was a Persian king. Darius had selected Daniel and a few other capable men at the time noblemen to supervise the high officers who were actually ruling over 120 different provinces. 
So there were high officers that were ruling over all of these provinces. And Daniel, who was a Hebrew, but who had been brought from, um, brought from Judah and brought into Babylon, uh, because he was a noble man, he was well-respected by the king, well-respected by the Persians, he was chosen to be a man who would oversee, who would administrate and, and oversee all of those high officers uh, who were overseeing those provinces. And because of Daniel's ability and because of his, his success, the king actually had plans to put Daniel in charge of the entire empire. So you can imagine, you, you have this Hebrew man, this Hebrew boy who's been brought from Judah, um, and, and now he's working his way up um, in, in the workforce or in the system here in the government. And, and, and now because of Daniel's ability and his success, the king has plans to place Daniel who probably isn't going to be well-liked by others because he's a Hebrew, but he's going to place Daniel in charge of the entire empire. So you can imagine that there was probably a little bit of jealousy. There was. You read about it in Daniel chapter 6 that began to emerge. Uh, Some others that were people that were a part of Babylon began to get a little frustrated and jealous and and, and bitter because this this Hebrew man uh, who they brought as a captive from uh, from Jerusalem or from Judah now is surpassing us uh, in our line of work. And so this jealousy began to stir among some of the administrators, some of the high officers. And so now they were trying to find anything they could that, that would um, make Daniel look unfit for the job. They tried anything, they looked for anything, but Daniel, Daniel was faithful Daniel was a man of integrity. Daniel didn't do anything wrong. They couldn't find anything wrong with Daniel to get him kicked out of his job in order for someone else to take over. They were convinced that the only thing they could do, the only chance they had was to find some connection with his religion. So what did they do? They, they convinced the king, Darius, to sign a decree. And, and keep in mind, Darius had no idea what their plot was. He, he didn't know they were trying to scheme against Daniel. He was um, just listening to some of his rulers. And so he, they convinced the king to sign this decree that for 30 days, anyone who prayed to anyone or anything besides Darius, the king, they would be thrown into the lion's den. And Darius thought, 30 days, you know, that's, that sounds like a great idea. And he signed, gave him the signet ring and signed the decree and it became a law. But fully aware of this new law, Daniel, Daniel continued to pray. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. From Daniel's life, we can learn three very valuable lessons on what constitutes a godly prayer life. Number one, a godly prayer life is routine in nature. Look at Daniel chapter 6, the verse we read. And I want to focus on the parts that are highlighted or underlined here. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, look at what he did. He went home. He knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, listen, just as he had always done. Prayer was never, for Daniel, it was never a reaction to the present circumstances. It wasn't the signing of the law or the decree that, that anybody that prayed to anything or anyone besides Darius for 30 days, it wasn't the signing of that law that drove Daniel to pray. It had nothing to do with the, the, the earth, earthly or surrounding circumstances of Daniel's life, nor was it the potential fate with lions. Um, it's clear that Daniel, Daniel didn't just start praying, you know, now I need to start praying harder so I don't get thrown into 
the lion's den. Too many people today, and I think even Christians often, and I think maybe we're all, we've all maybe been guilty of this at some point in time, uh, we, we sometimes only engage the practice of prayer when life is hard and when circumstances are overwhelming or an important decision needs to be made. But this was not the case for Daniel, nor should it be for us. Prayer was a part of Daniel's daily routine. It says in the text that he went home and he knelt down as usual and just as he had always done. Why? Because Daniel understood the value and the necessity of spending time in God's presence. There's another man that maybe you're familiar with that also understood that value, Martin Luther. Um, all the way back in the 1500s, he said this, if I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. I have so much business, I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. Martin Luther understood the value and the necessity of spending time in God's presence. It has nothing to do with the circumstances are getting a little bit more challenging or I have an important decision to make so now I'm going to pray or or things aren't working out for me today so now I think I'm going to pray. It has nothing to do with that. Prayer should not be contingent upon whether our circumstances are good or bad. Instead, it should be about wanting to be in the presence of God daily and routinely. Circumstances didn't drive Daniel to pray, but listen, a hunger and a desire to commune, to fellowship with, to be in God's presence. That's what drove Daniel to pray. Jesus said, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So so it's not about, prayer should not be tied uh, to our circumstances, whether our routineness in prayer should not be tied to our circumstances, whether they're good or bad and things are going well, so I won't pray for a few days or, or now things are very tough, so I'm gonna pray three times a day. That's not how prayer should work. Instead, it should be about wanting to be in fellowship with, communing with, in the presence of God where we can meet him face to face. That's what Daniel's prayer life looked like. Timothy Keller said this, he, speaking of Paul, does not see prayer as merely a way to get things from God, but as a way to get more of God himself. Prayer is striving to take hold of God the way in ancient times people took hold of the cloak of a great man as they appealed to him, or the way in modern times we embrace someone to show love. Prayer is not about getting more things from God. Prayer is about getting more of God. That's why Paul says, I, 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 I consider all of this garbage, worthless, compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what prayer should be about. So then I ask myself and I ask us all this question to think, is prayer a part of my daily routine? Do I pray occasionally or when circumstances are overwhelming or, or do I make certain that communing with God daily is a part of my, my spiritual habits, part of my life? Prayer is a conversation with God. So how often, how often am I conversing with the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer? The more I long for God in his presence, the more often I will spend conversing with him in prayer. 
more that I hunger and thirst for righteousness, the more that I will long to spend time in God's presence, talking with him and listening to him. If we long for his presence, if we long to hear from him, folks, that will lead us to our knees. That will lead us to prayer and conversing with our heavenly father. That's why the psalmist can say in Psalm 42, verse one is the deer longs or pants for streams of water. Psalmist David says this, so I long for you, O God, I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? I pray, I hope this, this becomes our prayer. And, and, and if not, maybe what we should do every single morning is get up and pray Psalm 42, verses one and two. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for you, God, the living God. When can I come and stand before you. Let this become our prayer. Let's long for his presence. And as we do, it will lead us to our knees. What does my heart long for? Does my heart long for God or is my heart longing for something else? Number two, a godly prayer life will consist of specific rhythms and habits. Look again at this text, Daniel 6 verse 10. Daniel learned that the law had been signed. What did he do? He went home. He knelt down as usual in the upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day. I want to just kind of point you to a few things here in the text. First of all, Daniel, Daniel had a place to pray. He prayed at his home. This is pretty clear. That doesn't mean Daniel didn't pray anywhere else, but it's clear that, that he did have part of his routine, part of his rhythm, part of his practice was praying at home. He would go to his upstairs room. This was Daniel's prayer closet. This was the secret place that Daniel would oftentimes go to to pray. For you, it may be very different. Um, maybe you do have a secret place. Maybe you have a special place where you go and meet with God. That doesn't mean you can't pray in your car. I prayed in my car on my way up here, praying for all of you. And, and, but the reality is, um, oftentimes there is a place that, that maybe is special to us, a place where maybe you had a very special or unique encounter with God, a place that you long to go back to, a place that, that has special memories for you where you maybe wrestled with God. And, and so for Daniel, he would go to his home, he would go to his upstairs room, and he would open the windows. That was his secret place for me, especially during, during the work week or early in the morning uh, in, in Muncie when I go, uh, go into work. Oftentimes, uh, there in the sanctuary, I have a very special place that I'll go to that, that I love to go to, same place, um, and, and if it's taken, I find a new place. I don't kick them out, all right? Uh, it has nothing to do with it. I don't kick that person out and say, hey, this is my place. I don't have my name written on it. But, but I do have a special place where I go and, and where I can meet with God, commune with him. But that doesn't mean I, I can't pray anywhere else. But there is a secret place, a place where as part of my rhythm, part of those habits, I, I go to meet with God. I would ask you to consider where is that place for you? Where is it that you find yourself most regularly meeting with and fellowship, fellowshipping with God? We can pray anywhere. But do you have a special place where you meet with him? on a regular basis. Jesus says in Matthew 5 or 6, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Maybe it is a literal closet. Maybe, maybe you have to get into the closet to get away from the kids for a little bit. I don't know. I'm guessing my wife, that would be the case. She would have to go somewhere where the kids can't find her. Um, otherwise, all four kids are gonna, they usually don't want me. They usually want her. So, so it's a little more challenging, but where is that place 
Maybe it is locking yourself in the closet. Maybe it's locking yourself in the bathroom. Whatever it takes, do you have a place? Where is that place that you meet with God, that you converse with him, that you talk with him most regularly so you can encounter his presence? Daniel had a time that he prayed. He prayed three times per day. Now, this was most... Um, often the, the case for Jews. They, they had a rhythm um, of praying at least three times a day. There were certain hours of the day that, that Jews would pray. And we see this uh, even in the New Testament. Acts chapter uh, 3, verse 1 uh, says that Peter and John, they went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. There were, there were rhythms of prayer for, for the Jewish people. Again, that didn't mean you couldn't pray at any other time, but there were set aside times of prayer that, that would help people focus, help them remember, okay, this is a time that I need to spend time in God's presence. One of the things I've done before and, and I'll probably be doing again this year is sometimes I'll even set alarms on my phone, um, whether it's at five o'clock or three o'clock or um, probably not at three o'clock in the morning, but, but, um, but certain times on my phone where an alarm will go off to remind me this is a time that I'm going to set aside to pray for the church or to pray for the prodigals or to pray for my family. And so those are things that we can do time, setting aside a time where we can pray for me oftentimes it's 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 simpler and, and a little bit more focused early in the morning um, or even at lunchtime if I'm fasting um, that's a time where I often will pray we can pray anytime uh, Hebrews chapter 4 we, we, we know that at any time we can come into the throne room of God God has made it possible through his son Jesus Christ we don't have to wait once a year for a priest to go behind the veil we don't have to to wait until the circumstances are just right we can pray anytime we can pray in our car we can pray while we're working uh, it doesn't have to be out loud there's there's not a lot of parameters when it comes to when we can pray but but do you have a rhythm a, a, a spiritual rhythm that is in place that helps you maybe that reminds you to spend time in God's presence? Uh, do we set aside times to pray and to meet with God? Times that are very special and sacred. Times where we say nothing else is going to get in the way. I'm going to put aside any distractions. Maybe that means leaving your phone outside and, and stepping into the closet so it's not dinging every five seconds. Daniel had a place. He had a time. He also preferred a specific atmosphere while he prayed. Uh, it says that the windows were open toward Jerusalem the place, Jerusalem was a special place. Why? Because at one point in time, that's where the Ark of God's, the, the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence, that's where the Ark or God's presence was dwelling in the temple. And so when he opened up his windows and was praying toward Jerusalem, uh, the, the goal or the objective was he was focusing his, his, focusing his attention on the presence of God, where, where God dwelt. So he had a very specific uh, atmosphere that he preferred. Now, it's not necessary now for us to, to pray in a certain direction, north, south, east, or west. Maybe you're, maybe you're directionally challenged, and that might be, that might be hard for some of us. Um, so maybe if, if we had to follow that, it might be you know, pray towards McDonald's or whatever. If it, maybe you know where those are at. But, but the reality is we, we don't have, now we, we don't have a certain direction we're supposed to pray to, but, but is there a certain atmosphere that, that is beneficial for you or helpful for you? Maybe... You you know, sometimes for me, it's with music in the background, um, and, and so there's a mixture of worship and prayer for me. Um, but maybe you prefer more of a just a, a complete, quiet, and still atmosphere uh, with very few or minimal distractions. But I would encourage you to consider what, what atmosphere 
um, is, is pertinent and beneficial for you to meet with God. Uh, because we, we want to eliminate any distractions that we can. So we, so we can focus our minds, so we can focus our hearts, so we can be in tune with God's heart and listen to him. And so consider what atmosphere is helpful for you. Where, where do you best meet with God? At what time? And, and what should the atmosphere be like? And I know we can't always get that atmosphere. Sometimes you do have to do it in the car. Sometimes you have to do it while you're walking um, you know, from one place in your office building to another. Or maybe it's on a very short lunch break or or in between patients, if you deal with patients, that might be the time that you pray. We can pray anytime, we can pray anywhere. But do you have a rhythm? Do you have those habits in place where you meet with God and you can hear and commune with Him? Daniel also had a very specific posture when he prayed. He knelt down. Now, I want you to know there isn't an incorrect or correct posture. If um, you don't have to be at the altar in order to it to be considered prayer. You don't have to be kneeling in order for it to be prayer. You don't have to be sitting or standing. But, but is there a posture for you that when you are in that posture, whether it's kneeling, whether it's walking, whether it's laying down, whether it's sitting, whatever it may be, is there a posture that keeps you focused? Is there a position that, that allows you to best hear the voice of God? There's not a correct one or an incorrect one, but I think it's important for us to consider what posture, maybe for you it might be more of a posture of, of submission or a posture of surrender, but what is that posture that helps you best hear from God's voice? And I would suggest to you, keeps you from dozing off, all right? If you're tired, um, I would suggest the posture of walking the room. That's always a good one. Um, if I'm ever tired and I'm praying, um, usually I'm gonna do the, the walking the room and praying a little bit out loud so I stay awake. But, but consider, don't, don't sit in your bed <laughs> um, at like 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night and think that you're gonna have a meaningful prayer time. There's a good chance uh, your prayer time's gonna start off and then quickly go into a snooze. So, but, but consider that posture for me, oftentimes I do, even um, I, I find myself walking the room or um, it, it helps me, uh, sometimes what I will do, uh, even though I'm not physically in this building, but sometimes what I do in, in Muncie um, is when I'm walking the room, I start picturing, because you all kind of sit in the same place, usually almost every single week for the most part, so as I'm doing that, I can kind of picture uh, you all, and I, I pray for you all by name as I'm walking through that room as if I'm in this sanctuary, in this space, and so what, what for you, what posture do you best hear the voice of God? Specific rhythms and habits while praying are vital because they help us become more consistent in our prayer life. Um, for example, I think we probably all in this room, you might have a bedtime routine, you know, when you brush your teeth and, and uh, when you um, brush your hair, I don't know if you do that at night or not, take your vitamins, whatever it may be. Usually we, we have a morning and, a, and an evening routine that we go through that helps us to be consistent so we don't forget our vitamins, so we don't forget to brush our teeth. And the same is true when it comes to prayer. We can pray to God anytime. We have access to him always, which is beautiful, and I'm thankful for that. But, but the, the beautiful thing about getting into a rhythm and having those, those disciplines and those practices, uh, spiritual practices of praying in, in a certain time and place, is it, it, is it helps us to better commune and, and make sure that we are spending vital time in God's presence. Finally, a godly prayer life, I think this might be the most important one, will always have a god focused beginning look at the text one more time 
Daniel 6, verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows, windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. And listen, he began by giving thanks to God. Daniel begins his prayer by giving thanks to God. His focus is not on the troubling circumstances or his present needs at the moment. Instead, it was God-centered. He was focusing on giving thanks to him. It was not about, Lord, rescue me from the lion's den. Lord, make sure they don't see me. Make sure I'm covered and they, they can't hear me as I'm praying. It had nothing to do with that. It was God-centered uh, from the very beginning. And he began by giving thanks to God. Instead, he approaches God by thanking him for his unchanging character. God, you're holy. God, you're faithful. God, you are good. You are eternal. It was all about God. It had nothing to do about him. It wasn't selfish, but it was vertical. It was god centered first is this not how jesus taught his disciples to pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven then he gets into give us this day our daily bread starts the lord's prayer starts vertical it starts god-centered it's it's all about who god is our god hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven we and myself included sometimes i think we're we're guilty and and we oftentimes get right to our requests and our needs and and god tells us and asks us to bring the the request before him sometimes we we skip giving thanks to him altogether we fail to acknowledge who he is that he is good that he is awesome and holy he is transcendent totally other from us and we jump right to our needs and fail to give him the acknowledgement that he deserves and the worship that he deserves. Um, John Piper says this, prayer is not for the enhancement of our comforts, but for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. Uh, that, that's so, uh, that, that's a very challenging statement because, and, and that should never deter us from praying for the needs and the requests of our people, but, but we often forget that, guess what folks, we are just foreigners passing through. Our kingdom, our citizenship is not here on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so even when we pray, whether we're praying for healing or whether we're praying for a prodigal to return or whether we're praying for a church or whatever we're praying, we're praying for our nation, it, it's not about the, the enhancement of our own comforts, but we're praying to advance and expand the kingdom of God remember his kingdom is unshakable and that's the kingdom that you and I are receiving and so as we pray we're praying that that kingdom would advance and that's why Jesus again said what thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven Daniel then after he gives thanks to God then he transitions in verse 11 to requesting God's help only after he gives thanks to God. Verse 11 says, then the officials went together to Daniel's house and what did they do? They found him praying, asking for God's help. He began by giving thanks to God, but then he began praying, requesting God's help. So how can I shape my prayer life so that it begins with God? I'm going to give these to you. There's going to be several things up here on the screen. Um, I'm going to just give these to you real quick and then we're, we're going to close our time together this morning. But I wanted you to walk away with this morning some very practical things, you know, what, okay, I, yes, I want a godly prayer life, but, but how can I do that? What does that look like? Well, first of all, part of that may be uh, finding a place where you can best meet with God, finding a time that works best for you and, and blocking that out. Doesn't mean you can't pray and shouldn't pray any other time, but, but find a time where you know you can spend quality time in God's presence, where you can spend 30 minutes or 40 minutes or, or an hour in his presence. Find that time, find a posture in an atmosphere that, that 
works well for you, where you can uh, minimize the distractions so you can hear the voice of God and allow God to change you and shape you. But there's some other things I'm just going to throw up here, um, and I can give these to you later. There's all kinds of different practices out there um, that may be helpful when it comes to prayer or even reading scripture and and understanding scripture. There's one practice, it's an ancient practice called Lectio Divina. Um, There's four pieces to it. Lectio just means simply selecting a passage of scripture and reading it several times. So so find a passage of scripture. Maybe it's Psalms 42. Um, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you. And and then as you read that several times, maybe you read it in different translations, uh, begin to focus and pray through that scripture. Um, And and then the next thing is, is the meditation part. And this isn't like a sit in a circle and do kumbaya type meditation. This is a reflecting on and, 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 and digesting those words. Even as you pray, meditate on that scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Don't lim- limit where your mind can, uh, may go during this time. Uh, the next piece then is uh, the, the part where we begin having a conversation with God, begin praying in response to that meditating on scripture. So as you read it, this is God's revelation to us. And as we read his word, and as we reflect on that word, begin to, to, to pray to God and, and have a conversation with him and allow him to speak to you through his word. And then finally, uh, kind of contemplating that, considering that, uh, continuing that prayer. And maybe that means writing it, if you're a journaling person, write that down in a journal. Um, and, and then uh, the implications of that prayer in that reflection time. Another uh, prayer method that maybe would be beneficial is one, and if you're an acronym person, this one's easy to remember, ACTS. Um, the ACTS prayer method, there's four pieces to that. A speaks of adoration. Um, the first piece is adoration. It give God praise and honor uh, for who he is. So when we pray, just as Daniel did, what did he do? He began his prayer time giving thanks to God. So the very first thing we can do is just begin our prayer time giving him thanks for who he is. Psalm 150, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heaven, praise him for his mighty works, praise him in his unequal greatness. And so one of the things we can do, and I'm giving you these scriptures because um, we don't have to necessarily come up with prayers ourselves. Just pray the scriptures pray the psalm psalm 150 as you begin your prayer time just pray psalm 150 giving him praise and thanks for who he is the second piece is confession um sometimes we don't like to go to this piece but this is important confession is honestly dealing with our sins um, Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts, and point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So we begin by giving thanks to God, adoring him for who he is, and then we kind of go a little bit more inside and begin to deal with, with our own life. God, search me. Is there any way in me that, that is not consistent with your character? And begin to change me, and begin to shape me into your character. The third piece, um, then, is thanksgiving. Verbalize what you are thankful for in your life and in the world. Uh, Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, what? Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. One of the great things we can do when we're praying is to thank God, not just for who he is, adoring him, but also thanking him for what he's done in your life, my life, and the life of friends and family. Uh, Thank him for your family. Thank him for uh, what he's given you or what he's done for you. Thank him for the cross. Thank you Thank him for the fact that he's given us his son, Jesus Christ. And finally, uh, supplication 
And that is just praying for the needs of other or, or interceding. That's where, so it begins with God. Um, we then go inward, begin to deal with our sins. We begin to thank him for who he is and what he's done. And then we move to supplication where we pray for the needs of others, where we intercede on the behalf of other people. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. This is, this is Paul writing in, in Philippians. Um, and, and I'm not gonna read it all. Philippians 1, verses three through five, and then verses nine through 11. It's just a prayer where Paul is praying for Uh, the church at Philippi. He will do the same in Colossians. He will do the same in Ephesians. He'll do the same in in almost all of his letters. Paul Paul begins by praying for the church that he is writing to. He's interceding for them. He's, He's going before God and he is offering up supplication on behalf of the churches. There's other things you can do. Practice listening. Um, And maybe that just means sitting quietly in God's presence and listening for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And maybe, again, if you're a journaler, writing those things down, one of the great things you can do is write write things down. Maybe God reveals something to you or you're journaling that and then going back later and reading through those and seeing the handprint of God at work is such a beautiful thing. And so if that's something that you enjoy doing, one thing you can do, you can create a, a prayer outline. If if you're a person that has a hard time focusing and once you get into prayer, you're all over the place. So, you know, you have splattered paint everywhere uh, in your prayer life. I, I would encourage you, ha- have an outline, have a list, have something. And maybe it starts with adoration and then confession and and thanksgiving and supplication, but whatever works for you, whatever will help you commune with God in heaven. Uh, Pray daily the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Pray that if you want every single morning when you wake up, before you do anything else, before you brush your teeth, before you hop in the shower, maybe you just simply sit on the side of your bread, not bread, (laughs) uh, bed. Um, Bread's in there. Give us this day our daily bread. But as you sit on the side of your bed, begin to pray the Lord's Prayer. And then if you're a techie person, uh, there are prayer apps out there as well. Things that will help you, remind you to pray, things that will, uh, you can keep list in. There's all kinds of different resources uh, that are available to help us commune with God. Would you stand with me this morning? Don't tune me out just yet. I have one final story. I want to read to you. 1949, worship team's going to go ahead and start playing. In 1949, George Roy and Elizabeth Wood, an American missionary couple serving in northwest China and Tibet, they were forced to leave the area. Local leader named Pastor Mung took over the church of 200 people. The Woods returned to America, and by 1985, both of them had passed away without ever knowing what had happened to the church that they started. 1988, the Woods' son, George, returned to China, and he met with Pastor Mung and his wife. We're now in their 80s. 28 years, the communist government had done this, done their best to, to extinguish the church. Pastor Mung wasn't allowed to preach, and he spent nine of those years in prison for his faith. It was illegal to baptize or indoctrinate anyone under 18. When the government finally allowed Pastor Mung to reopen the church in 1983, there were only 30, mostly older people, in attendance. Assuming that the church was on its last leg, George Wood asked Pastor Mung, how many believers do you have today? Pastor Mung's wife brought them a cardboard roll held together by yarn. The first page was filled with writing. Five columns, name, age, gender, address, occupation. There were around 20 names. George Wood continued turning over page after page after page with names written. 
of those that had been baptized, those that had become followers of Jesus Christ. And folks in China, in a context where they weren't even allowed to preach the gospel, to be baptized was a sign that you were part of the body of Christ and you were going to follow Christ and Christ alone. Finally, he asked the monks, how many believers do you have now? He said, 1,500 baptized believers. In disbelief, George Wood asked, how did this, how did this happen? Pastor Mung smiled as he shared his secret for church growth. It wasn't a technique, it wasn't a program. He simply said, oh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we pray a lot. Then he went on to describe what the Lord had done. Pastor Mung died in 2006, the age of 96. When he passed, a number of baptized believers stood over 15,000. We've now been for several weeks or several months throwing out numbers to you during our five minutes of prayer. We've focused our prayer time on it, but number 13,000, that number represents people in Jay County that are unchurched. Uh, 212,000 represents the number of unchurched in kind of the eight East Central Indiana counties, Delaware, Jay, Blackford, Adams, Wells, Randolph, Wayne, Henry, I think I got them all, kind of in that area. 212,000 unchurched individuals. My prayer, my hope, is I want to see the 13,000, the 212,000, those even here in this community in Dunkirk, I think 1,400, I think is what I've mentioned to you, 1,400 that are unchurched. I want to see them come to know Christ. That doesn't happen through um, programs and strategies are good and, and resources that have been made available to us, we need to utilize, absolutely. For the heart to be changed, people to come that are maybe far from Christ, to come and to experience His presence, it's going to take God's people praying. As they declared very clearly, it wasn't some technique, some strategy that they used to see 1,500 and then eventually 15,000 baptized believers. It was a belief that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is sovereign. He's on the throne. And they gave themselves to praying a lot, knowing that when people pray, when God's people pray, mountains begin to move. God begins to do things that our minds can't even begin to grasp. With your eyes closed this morning, all heads bowed. First of all, I want to just ask you, you don't need to raise a hand, but I just want to ask everybody that's here today, right now, and then even as you go this morning, to start reflecting and evaluating your own life. I'm going to do the same. Maybe you need to pray Psalm 139, God search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me and ask God, God, I want to hunger and thirst more for you. I want to know you more. Nothing else matters compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else, even the good things, Paul would say, 
garbage, rubbish, compared to knowing Jesus Christ. First thing I want to ask us all to do is just to simply begin to search our hearts and ask God, God, how do you want us to respond? What changes do I need to make? God, is my prayer life falling short of what you expect? Am I not spending enough time in his presence? And if so, God, what, what things can I begin to do to see that change? Maybe that means finding a place finding a time, picking an atmosphere, taking a specific posture where you can begin to meet with God. I want us to do that as individuals, but I also want to challenge us as a church and as a congregation. There's a lot of things that we can be known for. I pray that we do and have an opportunity to be an incredible blessing in this community and in this county. First and foremost, I want us to be known as a church and as a congregation that prays a lot. And I don't mean just on Sunday morning, but as a body of Christ, as believers, I want us to be people who are praying, acknowledging God's goodness, God's greatness, and even interceding and praying on behalf of one another. Folks, if we do that, I do believe that the 13,000, 1,400, the 212,000 prodigals in your life and my life begin to see some fruit and some results of that. I'm going to ask one question. I want you all to reflect on that and, and, and myself included begin to ask God, God, what, what changes do I need to make? But I do want to ask if there's you're here with us all eyes are closed heads are bowed if you're here this morning maybe you're here and you've never made never made jesus christ the lord of your life you've never invited him to be your lord to be your savior and you want to do that today i'd love the opportunity to pray with you i'm not going to have you come forward but i just want to pray for you this morning so if you're here all eyes are closed heads are bowed and you want to make jesus christ the Lord of your life. Paul says very clearly, Scripture is clear, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. So I want to pray for you. If that's you, all eyes are closed, heads are bowed, just slip up your hand. And I can see it. Everyone else's, thank you. Everyone else's hands or eyes are closed. Anybody else this morning? Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are holy. Thank you that you are the creator, the one who spoke the world into existence. God, we thank you today that you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that you are the one who is ruling and reigning in a kingdom that is unshakable. Kingdom that even when earthly kingdoms come and go and pass away, kingdom of heaven stand strong Father I pray for those that are here today that maybe have never made a commitment to you never invited you to be the Lord of their life they want to do that this morning God all they have to simply do it's not the prayer that saves them it's not 
coming forward that saves them, but all they have to simply do, Lord, in their heart, is to confess you as their Lord and believe in faith that, God, you raised Jesus from the dead. Then they will be saved. So, Father, today I pray for any person here today that maybe did raise their hand or should or should have raised their hand and did. And I just pray, God, in this very moment that they will begin to confess you as their Lord, begin to believe in their heart. You raised Jesus from the dead. God, begin to change them. Make them a new creature in Christ Jesus. May the old pass away. May they be new in Christ today. Father, I thank you that you have given us a means and an avenue to commune and fellowship with you through prayer. Thank you, God, that we can come before you at any moment, any part of our day. We can fellowship with you. I just ask, God, that as we do that, I pray that for every person in this room that you would increase our hunger and our thirst for you. May we pray with the psalmist says, the deer pants for streams of water, so I pan and I long for you, O God, the living God. When can I stand before you? Give us that hunger. Give us that desire. Give us that yearning for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's worship together in closing.